Listener Production. How the girls to buy princesses and all the boys to buy superheroes. Some girls like superheroes, some girls like princesses, some boy like superheroes, some boy like princesses. If you have ever bought toys for children, you might empathize with that little girl right there. But why do we have different toys for different genders, even when it seems like our children are just as happy playing with the princess as they are with the superhero? Well, maybe it's because we teach them to prefer one over the other. Why do you want to get a Barbie doll? You got to be kidding me. But I love Barbies. You love Barbies. Since when do you like Barbie dolls? I love Barbies. Oh no. Although it might seem trivial to think about the kinds of toys we buy for our children, this is one of the first times your child may encounter different aspects of gender. And as we've learned so far in this podcast, the influence of those early years plays a pivotal role in how a baby develops right into adulthood. The toys we play with when we're kids can play a big role in what jobs we get when we're older. For example, gender toys could deter girls from a career in engineering. Toys with a science focus are three times more likely to be targeted at boys. I didn't think it was a woman's job because you don't see any women welders on TV or anywhere. So there's always the people who are kind of like, why are you going to be a nurse why not be a doctor? I'm Emma Watkins, a children's entertainer and lover of all things science and research. And this is the Baby Lab podcast, where I team up with parents as well as experts from the Marks Baby Lab at Western Sydney University who are gaining valuable insights into how babies learn, grow and interact. On today's episode, we'll be looking at the role that gender can play or not play when raising a child. However, it's important to recognize that this topic can be sensitive with lots of different thoughts and emotions involved. The stories in this episode are just here to give you more information for your parenting toolbox. Feel free to take what resonates with you and ignore what doesn't. On with the show. So I'm Alicia. I'm a mum to an almost three-year-old and an eight-month-old. Just a bit busy. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about your children. So my daughter, Remy, she'll be three in about a month. We call her our little sunflower because she's such full of energy and she's a bit of a wildflower. And my son, Kai, he's eight months. Today we're really interested in the discussion around gender and what that means mm-hmm. and how does that differentiate your parenting to both your children or at all or nothing yeah. Uh, what do you feel like are the pressures around gender or the discussion around gender now that you're a parent? I treat my children the exact same regardless of their gender, but I definitely see the societal pressures and the stereotypes between the different genders. And I guess maybe that's why I find it so hard to notice the differences between them because I treat them exactly the same. I give them the exact same toys My son dresses in pink, my daughter dresses in blue. I mean, and pink as well, obviously, because she's all about the pink and purple life. But I think it's more around the societal pressures and the gender stereotypes around what they like to do and what toys they're given for Christmas. 
If you were to walk into any toy store with the aim of buying a gender-neutral toy, you could understand where Alicia is coming from here when she talks about societal pressure in this area. The magical ball is coming and Belle needs to look her best. Create new looks and styles with a Belle styling head. Doctor X turns up the heat, but Action Man Bowman has him in his sight. Today in the La La Loopsie Magic Kitchen, we're baking magic. La La Loopsie Magic Kitchen, put your cake inside. Today, toys can still play a role in presenting aspects about gender. And like Alicia, Megan McNally is making a proactive effort to present her daughter with a wide range of choices. There is obviously that very, very um, gender-specific kind of set of toys. Every shop you go into is separated into boys' toys and girls' toys. I think for us as well, though, being a same-sex couple, you know, the roles are very blurred in our family. So what would generally be, you know, the, the dad's role in the house or the mum's role in the house is just two women doing the role. And that, I think, will go into the toy kitchen and girls get in a little kitchen to play with and boys get in a, you know, a lawnmower. Um, you know, we, we have to do both those jobs in our house. So Multi-talented. <laughs> exactly. And so um, I think having that range of, of toys available to her and letting her know that she can choose whatever it is that, that she wants. But even before she's able to do that, by us, you know, making that conscious effort to mix and match those things and I think, you know, with a lot of the play groups and community supports that are available, that kind of is a bit blurred already. You know, there's toys available for kids and they just play with the toys. Maybe in their homes things is different, but at the at the play groups and the mums groups and stuff, it's very much open for everyone. Now, of course, this wouldn't be a Baby Lab podcast without digging into some of the science behind toys and gender. Because believe it or not, there have actually been studies on whether or not babies respond more strongly to toys aligned with their gender. One such study was led by Paola Escudero, a professor in linguistics at the Marx Institute. In her study, they presented babies with images of cars, dolls' faces, real faces, all the good baby stuff, and used a special eye-tracking machine to monitor which particular object the baby was drawn to. We started by thinking about stereotypes. Mm. And in adults, there are multiple of them. With children, one of the biggest stereotypes is related to what girls and what boys should have as toys and should like or may prefer and it's impossible not to think about the fact that girls probably like dolls and boys probably like cars because that stereotype seems to come from many 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 years ago and I thought hmm it shouldn't have to be that by definition and from birth girls like dolls and boys like cars because that doesn't make any sense from what I've been looking at. There seems to be a lot of discussion around certain objects or certain toys that might be suited to different genders. What has your research uncovered in this discussion? If frequency around you Mm. matters, then whatever objects that your parents choose for you actually make a difference in how you start developing and what things are most familiar to you and what things you prefer or like. So we used what we call visual fixation with an eye tracker that actually tracks your eyes, pupils, and the way they move. And so we did this side by side, and we used dolls 
as well faces of dolls as well as faces of girls in this case, right? Because most dolls are female. And then we used toy cars and then real cars. And we had three to five month old babies. And guess what we found? What did you find? All babies preferred the dolls and the faces of females. <laughs> All babies, regardless of their age from three to five or their gender, sex. Wow. That was a revelation. So in Paula's study, a baby's gender had no impact on its preference of object. The boys weren't automatically attracted to racing cars, for example, just because they were boys. But we do know that gendered preferences tend to appear as children grow older. So the question is, when do these preferences begin to form and where do they come from? We didn't find out the gender before we had May because we didn't care. And we didn't need to plan anything differently for a girl than we would for a boy. We were just having a baby and we just bought baby stuff, you know. Um, But my family were very much waited until she was born to then start buying things. And I had to be very specific and say, you know, that fluffy dress and stuff, that's not us. We would never dress her in that anyway, so don't. Don't waste your money, kind of thing. And my mom, you know, she still will try to slip slip Just things slowly, in. Slowly, yeah, yeah, so slowly. Yeah, she'll always comment, "Oh God, pink really suits her, doesn't it?" You know, <gasps> things like that. It seems so direct. Yeah, um, yeah. that kind of pressure, I oh, guess. Very, very much. And I'm very grateful for all the gifts we received um, from home when she was born. But they were all gender specific gifts. There was no, there was no blurred lines there. It was, you know, dresses, pink bows for her hair. She doesn't have any hair. Um, you know, <laughs> all of that kind of stuff that was really kind of pushed on from from the get-go. I think because myself and May's other mum, we're, we're not very girly. It's stereotypically girly either. So we, even now when we're going to a wedding soon and I was buying her a dress and I thought, she's going to look so weird in this because we don't, <laughs> we don't wear dresses really. And she, she's just, used to being in little shorts and, and, you know, leggings and things like that. So it does feel a little bit a bit alien to me to put her in those kind of clothes. Megan, you hinted at it before about the conventions mm-hmm. perhaps in Ireland being very different to Australia. Yeah. What was that like for you? Look, I was always a tomboy from as young as I can remember. And, you know, my mum was very accommodating to that. I think she probably wished a little bit more that I was a bit more girly. And I think even I remember with... My school uniform, we had the option to wear like a summer dress and I hated it. I hated the dress so much and I didn't want to wear it, but everyone was wearing it. The other option was a skirt, which was fine for for some reason, but the dress to me was just too much. I just didn't (laughs) want to wear this little checkered dress. And um, that's one of my earliest memories of not wanting to dress like that. I think, yeah, look, my grandparents and stuff would have been very traditional in that, you know, tutus and fluffy socks and, you know, frilly things. And I think that's just so ingrained in the culture there that, you know, boys wear blue and and green and black and girls wear dresses and, you know, pink things. My name is Li Chen and I do lots of research with lots of babies, lots of topics, too many things. I don't know where to start. Do you feel that most of these preferences are coming from the parents and the caregivers? This is a very interesting question (laughs) because 
when we ask the parents about this issue, right, uh, mm-hmm. they are all quite gender neutral and gender positive. Like they are very supportive of, they're aware of what's going on in this world, and they're very supportive, let's say, to gender equality uh, and everything. When we actually see what uh, they are actually given to their children. You can clearly see that there is a preference, right? So if uh, they have a baby boy, then they will give them what we call the boy toys, um, mm-hmm. and if it's a girl, then it's more like girl-oriented toys. So yes, we are aware of the gender differences, but we do seem to be contribute to building such difference since the beginning of life. Let's say that. I would like to know about the research that you're doing with the different types of. Brain cognition of different genders. What does the research say? Even though there are genetic differences and there are hormonal differences, as we know, most research do not actually show a difference or a significant difference between, let's say, boys and girls. I don't think we are so different from the beginning. I do believe yes, there is a natural component, but the nurture plays a big role in our gender development and how we becomes. Boys and girls. So both Paula and Lee Tran have found through their research that nurture plays a far bigger role than nature does when it comes to the preference of gendered toys. That's not to say that there aren't biological differences between males and females, but more that some of the gendered preferences we develop as we grow stem from the environment we grew up in. This area of research is rapidly growing, as is the general conversation around gender, and you don't have to look back too far to see just how much things have changed. Nail polish is harmless, but you should remove it for short periods in order to prevent cracking of the fingernail. Women usually take better care of their nails than men do. Many men let their nails get long and ragged. The conversation around stereotypes is far more commonplace today, and for Alicia, continuing that conversation in her own home requires conscious and consistent effort. I definitely think I'm very conscious of the way that I parent my children and the experiences that I give them, and you know, even down to. The way they dress, or the comments that sometimes, like my daughter's very chatty. For example, the other day when we were in the car, my daughter Remy said, "Oh, look, that crane over there. There's a, the man is driving the crane." And I said to her, um, "Oh, it could be a man or it could be a woman. We don't know. And both men and women can drive cranes, just like you can do whatever you want to do in the world." And I guess that I'm really conscious of those conversations and. Wanting to make sure that she's aware that she can do anything that she wants to, and like my son, he can do whatever he wants to, and not playing into that gendered occupations. And that's a big responsibility on the parent, you know, for you to be able to, I guess, add to that narrative and offer options to Remy, particularly in that situation. Do you think that maybe she assumed that it was a man because of something that she might have heard, or she's picked up somewhere else? Like, where do they learn those things? You know, my daughter. Attends daycare a lot, and、um, you know she's cared by a range of different trusted adults as well. So it's I have an impact on her life, but there's also other people that have、mm. impacts on her life, and even you know her little friends at daycare. And I, I don't know where she could she picks up those things as well. But I just know that there's a lot of people in our life, and I don't think it comes from a bad place at all. 
I'm, I'm very conscious of that. I don't pull up anyone generally unless, yeah, it d- depends on the conversation, I guess. <laughs> what else have you heard Remy say? Oh, she says a lot of things. <laughs> the wild sunflower <laughs> she is. Yeah. Lately, she's been all about wearing tutus and she's very into nail polish and she always walks around with a handbag and, and her little high heels. I call her my little corporate gal because she just runs around with her <laughs> heels and her little bag. And I don't ever stop that because that's what she wants and that's what she likes as well. I just give her a range of different toys and range of different options and it's whatever she chooses. I don't ever stop her from playing with things or, or whatnot. That's just who she is as a kid and I love that. So we've learned that when a baby is born, they mostly gravitate towards faces and don't have a preference based on their gender towards toys. And we've also learned that most of these toy preferences are learned by the baby from their environment. But at what age do babies start to display these preferences? What happened between 14 and 16 months and only for boys was that they started to have no preference. So they no longer preferred the faces to particularly the cars. So at that age, we think that they're starting to be less likely to focus or prefer the faces going into other things. For society then, is it useful to provide multiple different objects for babies to be in contact with, to look at, to uh, form their perception of the world? I think so. We actually make that point and give it as an advice for parents um, to try to provide them with different things, not just the stereotypes, because it seems, and this is just off the record of a journal article and a scientific research paper, I think that we are making girls prefer professions that relate to caring for people Mm. because we give them dolls all the time not personally because my daughter prefers trains and cars I didn't give them to her they were just given to her you know because they were a second hand from Mm. other family members I think giving them a choice to decide what they like by having an array of options would be desirable I have a feeling that if that happens more often then we will have girls choosing for other things than being teachers, um, nurses. Do you feel that having an array of objects to, I guess, learn about right from, you know, the get-go, is that helpful or beneficial for cognitive development? It could be because the more items, I mean, going back to the initial Mm. um, topics that we were discussing, the more times you see something, the more you your brain works at what they are and what they're for and how you can use them for improving your own world, your small world around you, but also in the future, the world that surpasses beyond Mm. your room or your childcare center and so forth, which means that if you want to be entrepreneurial, you want to be pioneer, you want to know more about what's out there so that you can make more of a difference A world of curiosity. Indeed. So the more items, the more diversity between them, the more curiosity you build in your child. They want to know how they relate, how they connect, and how they differ. If they see the same thing over and over again, 
they would not be curious because it's all given to them in one go. What kind of advice can you give to other parents that might be feeling a little bit of the strain about those gender norms or the way that our babies might be labelled? I think um, remembering that you don't know these people and kind of their opinion or what they think really doesn't have any bearing on your day. <laughs> you know, just kind of let it slide. Obviously, if it's someone outwardly asks or it's someone you're going to be in contact with regularly, then yeah, correcting them and letting them know. But if it's just a stranger or what does it really matter what someone thinks, you know, when they when the child grows up and they'll express themselves in whatever way they want. What can we do as parents and caregivers to encourage gender equality with our children? Breaking the gender stereotypical thinking as we know it. For example, we associate blue to boys and maybe pink to girls, but we know that like back in the 1960s or beyond, pinks are associated with boys at some point. So we don't have to think too much about these kind of things. We just give the children what they like, no matter what colour it is. Where did these stereotypes even start? Because, yes, what you're saying about that connotation around, you know, pink, for example, meant something completely different 50 years ago. Why do we seem to be so stuck in this? I guess because it's still a gender imbalanced society, I would say. There is a very obvious difference between boys and girls, between male and female, right? So it's not until recently that we are trying uh, as a species to break these barriers, like to to go for a better understanding of what's going on and to be more inclusive. So I think, yes, till now, the things are still what they are. But I think in the future and in the near future, we will be thinking of these things quite differently. Mm, Mm. That's really interesting. It feels like we're right on the edge of something where it's going to change. I think so. The world is constantly changing and keeping up as a parent with the latest social norms in a way that feels true to your own values can be a daunting task. But we've learned today that gender preferences, particularly with toys, may be more fluid for babies than previously thought. So let your child play with whatever toy they like. Presenting them with a wide variety of objects and experiences will only benefit them as they grow and develop. Coming up on the next episode of Baby Lab... Everyone had an app. When are they sleeping? When are they pooping? When are they they drinking their bottles? And everyone's putting everything in the app. And I go to the groups and they're like, yeah, yeah, this, that. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Uh And she was the best sleeper in the group. We're tackling the exciting and sometimes confusing world of milestones. That's next time on Baby Lab. The Baby Lab podcast is a listener production brought to you in partnership with the Marks Baby Lab at Western Sydney University. Hosted by me, Emma Watkins. Audio by Kelly Fulston. Executive producer is Todd Stevens, And producer is Thomas Thexton. Listener.